back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are things? Huh? Good. I'm good. I like the weather has been suboptimal for like the past weekend, and I don't even mean like there's no wildfires. There's no tornadoes blowing through. It's just been like rainy, so I'm like, eh, this isn't the spring I was promised. It's oh, like, <laughs> I'm with you on that. We had a very bad rain in New York City over the weekend, um, which is, this is great stuff. Uh, New York City, yeah. of course, major city in the United States. I live there just to get all the listeners up to speed. We were getting off the subway at the 33rd Rawson Street stop on the 7, and it was raining so much that there was water just shooting up out of a drain like a geyser. I don't know how that happens. I love that. It's like the forbidden drinking fountain. When it's rainy and then the subway station turns into a Russian steam bath and like you got like just pitted out fucking men's warehouse suits as far as the eye (laughs) can see. Fucking brutal. But on a sunnier note... Let's go to California, where our guest this week is Patrick Redford, who attended that incredible Warriors King series and is here to light up our beams with his powerful basketball energy. Hi, Patrick. What's up, big go- dog? How's the weather out there? Has it been raining at all? Good morning. Um, no, I live in Oakland, so none of that weather shit is my problem. That's <laughs> somebody else's. But issue. I'm glad yeah. you're enjoying your little spring or whatever. Are you, are you, there's more <laughs> dad talk because we already talked about weather, so we're gonna do more. We're gonna do more dad talk. Patrick, how far is it to Sacramento? Because you went to what? You went to all four home games? So how did you manage that like little commute? I went to all four home games, and then I went to game three um, in San Francisco as a fan. Um, so you're poor now. You have no money left. <laughs> well, I, I the four in SAC was just uh, credentialed media for free 99. Door to door with no traffic. On Sunday, I did it in 65 minutes, I think. Um, Boosh! Wow, usually it's nice. about an hour and a half. Um, well, I mean, as, as our listeners know, you know, the causeway going from SAC to Davis, there's mm-hmm. always a little traffic, um, been there. He loves to give directions, classic Vacaville, Fairfield snafus, but, um, that damn causeway when I was, when I would drive back after the games too, you know, there's no traffic. So that was nice. Um, what kind of, can you hit me with some of the cities that you go through between Sacramento and Oakland? Great, great question. Is right, Piscataway so, one of them? <laughs> look, all right. So the, the. The hateful Sunday afternoon sun uh, settling down over the um, crenellated peaks of the Cape Valley and Mount Diablo off to the south. We're talking in order Davis, Dixon, Vacaville, Fairfield, Vallejo, um, just to name a few. And then you're going over the Carquinez Bridge, of course. I got the fast track flex in the Subaru, so it's not a problem for me. <laughs> this, this commuting shit come real easy. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, California, Davis, like myself. Vacaville, who, who you are at Vallejo, that's all... Well, the who you are is more the Vacaville. Do you go to the premium outlets? Is that where you stop for lunch? Uh, real heads know Fairfield, though, is the sandwich spot. Let's uh, let's take the listeners into consideration uh, for the first time in this podcast and talk about the actual <laughs> basketball. What They're going to like it. They're going to like city chat. Can you tell us about the atmosphere <laughs> in the arena the nights you went and how it deferred? Oh. And I know it did from all the other Kings home games you've been to over the past 16, 17 years. It was, it was awesome. Um, game one was like, it was so, so, so loud. Um, though there was also this really interesting process that happened with the Kings crowd. I mean, they're a fantastic crowd. I want to hear from you guys what it sounded like on TV. But game one was just so, so loud. But it was kind of this like almost nervous energy. Like people didn't know exactly what to do all the time. And you saw this towards the end of the regular season as well. And then once they won that first game, game two was like the most raucous, joyful. Five, a lot more Warriors fans. Um that oh, was really of, that was a real yeah because tickets they got, afford it <laughs> tickets were most expensive at the ends basically and then in the middle when more warriors fans were like oh 
it's only like slightly more to go to SAC than to just see them in uh, San Francisco. They came, but then Game 7 was once again just bananas. That was as loud as I've ever heard it. Game 7 is the loudest basketball game I've ever watched on TV, I think. Well, also, it was like, really, like I, you know, it's hard to tell on TV, but it was the sort of thing where it was notable, not just in the sense that the crowd was kind of like, especially in the first half, the crowd was just going the entire time. Like, it yeah. wasn't the sort of thing where you cheer after a made bucket or a stop or whatever. It was like the resting volume level was like my bloody Valentine concert. And then there were <laughs> peaks up and down from that. The thing that I noticed most, and I think we talked about this a little bit in Slack, is that like the mixing of the game was different. Like it sounded like, like a record that like Steve Albini had produced, like the vocals of the announcers were under the instruments, like where (laughs) everything was like in the same band where usually you're getting like crystal clear vocals on top of the instrumentation. And in this case, it's like Mike Breen struggling to be heard above the voices of, uh, you know, whatever, 18,000 psychotic Sacramentans. I think the other thing is that you can tell on television uh, with basketball, much better than you can with football. So football, you know, it's a seventy thousand seat stadium. It's outdoor, and so right. usually you have you yeah. need you usually get a sideline person being like, "Guys, it is loud down here." <laughs> like yeah. you, you usually, <laughs> you always get that. You don't need that with an NBA game. You can tell even you know even though networks use different might use different sound equipment and stuff like that. Like I can tell. Uh, you know, I could tell that arena was fucking nuts. I could tell when Memphis's arena was fucking yeah, nuts. I could yeah. tell also um, in Game Seven of Bruins Panthers, that crowd was fucking alive. Now the oh. Bruins lost, which is hilarious. But like you, you can tell, you can tell from home when those crowds not only uh, are popping but are like going all the way through, and then it's notice. It's all that's much more noticeable. When they subside, particularly as they did in Game Seven, Patrick. I'm sorry, the Kings did. When Steph essentially took over that game, and the Warriors ran away in the third and fourth quarters, and you know you could tell that 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 energy was gone because they had they knew they weren't going to get back in it. So they it was like you get to that human point where it's like, ah, I, what's the point? You know? Yeah, it was the um, it was the 13 offensive rebounds the Warriors had in that third quarter. Like brutal. One of the most deflating ways to lose that there is too. The fucking Kavan Looney series. Yeah. Just wild. Man. And like this is this is gonna sound like cope, but like almost all of those rebounds were long rebounds. And like if you're watching Sabonis, he is in there just like he is battling Looney every single possession. And Mike Brown has talked about this where he's like, it's his job to occupy him. And then it's like Malik Monk and Kevin Herter and those guys' job to like grab the rebound. And he said this all year and like, you know, this is like the, the way they lose is like that. And so it was very, it was very, I don't know, like they had the 25th best defense in the NBA this year. And like, I think they played the Warriors pretty great, pretty much in all seven games. Like, yeah, you didn't see it in that third quarter. They held them to 40 point shooting. Like, how were they so bad on defense during the regular season? Like, cause it was, I feel like Mitchell, Davion Mitchell did as good a job on Curry in the games where he was good as I've like ever seen anyone yeah. do. Yeah, Steph had to crazy. work for those 50 points. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't a casual 50 that Steph put up. Like he no, was no. fucking hard. And it was most of it, most of it was like at the rack too. Like he was doing those like mm-hmm. scoop shot finishes crazy where he's right in you. Shit, yeah. Um, I mean, they like, that's the really frustrating thing is like they really locked in and like got the stops they needed. And yeah, to just, I mean, like I wrote about this yesterday, but there were three distinct possessions that featured three offensive rebounds that lasted for longer than 45 seconds. And like, 
that's just that's just gonna kill you. And like, yeah. if Clay doesn't hit that like just completely nutty four point play at the end of the third, it's a six point. Yeah, game. Like, that one. I was like, it. when when that happened, I was like, that's the dagger. I, yeah, I, it, it I really like, felt like it. Um, but honestly, like, I was pretty sad for a few hours. But by the like by the end of that night, um, the good feelings took over. Like, it was just it was an incredible season. And I'm, I'm I want to hear from you guys like. I, I had I was so close I couldn't really have any perspective, but it seemed like the best basketball as basketball series like by far of the oh, first. Oh, not even close. I mean, it's like the best first round series that I. I mean, obviously recency bias and all that other you know stuff, but it's the best first round series that I can remember, including you know the ones that were your odd you know your crazy upsets and like I remember like Denver over Seattle when I was a kid, and then the the yeah. Warriors teams. Yeah. It's incredible because you're seeing stuff you're not necessarily supposed to be seeing, but like just in terms of basically until the second half of game seven, and I guess like game six, the like, you know, Kings kind of kicked their asses. It was as closely fought and as like enjoyably played basketball as I've seen, you know, like it's basically, it felt like the apex of what you can achieve in this style of basketball, like pretty much in terms of entertainment. I agree with Roth. I was, I was at a point, I was at many points where I really forgot it was a first round playoff series. And that's not just because I'm a casual dickhead just coming in at the last second. Like it felt very much like a conference finals. And and I, I don't think that was an accident. I think it was because of the intensity and what it meant to obviously those fans and then also obviously the name brand talent on the other side of the ba- on the other side of the court. Yeah, like uh, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, like those guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> Terrence Davis, of course, you got Rashawn Holmes. <laughs> those good feelings I was talking about dissipated a little bit yesterday when I was watching Suns Nuggets because I was watching these like clunky assholes run this like bullshit <laughs> pick and roll isolation post offense. I just felt like I had like a concussion. I was just thinking like I just watched two of these like crazy motion offenses do like this like pin down Spain pick and roll, you know, like crazy actions at all times. And now I'm watching Jokic just dribble for 16 seconds yep. and like I <laughs> put on the shower slides and take a little like foul line <laughs> jumper. Yeah. And I don't know if I believe this, but I was just thinking like these two teams could not end with the Kings pace if they played their like apex level game, which is maybe false, but I felt like that was the case when I, I mean, I, again, like this isn't going to sound like Cope because I didn't really have a rooting interest one way or the other, but I feel like the Kings, the way they played would have like absolutely walked any other Western conference team out of with the impossible exception of Denver out of the first round. Like they just were, it just is shitty luck. Because of the way that the seeding was, and you wrote about this a number of times during the year, because of how like chaotic that like middle to bottom of the Western Conference was, they just got the worst possible matchup. Like if things bounce slightly differently and the Kings get the Clippers, it's like they would have swept them. Imagine Norm Powell trying to hang with like Malik Monk when he's going off in yeah. this third quarter. It's like there's no way. Do you think the Kings can improve their shortcomings, uh, the shortcomings that cost them the series? Can they get better on defense? I, I do think so. Although I worry a little bit like everything, everything, everything broke for them this season. Like their only significant injury was, I mean, Simonis broke his thumb in December and he missed one game. And then wow. they lost that game to the Nugs and he was like, ah, I, I think I should come back, guys. I think I should just play through this. Um, so like they'll, they'll struggle with that. Um, I mean, De'Aaron Fox played through that series with a fucking busted finger yeah. on his shooting hand. It yes. was brilliant. Which, like, uh, I think I think affected him, um, especially, like, at the end of game five, eight yeah. minutes in, it tweaked it. He tweaked it. Um, mm. 
right. missed the last five shots, didn't score for the last eight minutes. And like, he was great in game six. Uh, but I think it was his ball handling. Most of all was affected. Like there were a lot of like cheeky little turnovers in game seven. Um, but like the roster will come back basically intact and like they have their pick this year. Um, who knows the Barnes Trey Lyles situations are kind of weird, but I mean the, the core idea of Fox Sabonis plus shooters is super sound. I think Murray improves. And I think, I think just like another year playing defense together, it'll be like, yeah, I, I have, I have pretty good confidence. This is just a team we're going to see in the playoffs for the next five years or so. And like, that's really exciting. I'll regret asking this, but uh, can you go back to Lyles and Barnes? Why are their situations weird? Can you explain that? Oh, just they're free agents, and uh, Barnes was um, exposed bad, as they say in the industry yeah. in the in the playoffs. He was he was just awful. Um, I, I I wonder if missing that game winner in Game Four mentally boomed him. I don't really know. Um, but like the exit interviews were yesterday. This is like one of the most shocking things. The exit interviews were yesterday, and those two guys who were like the two. Uh, unrestricted free agents who played minutes were both like, all I want to do, my number one priority, the only thing I care about is like coming back to Sacramento, which is like, that's a shocking, that's a shocking thing to hear. <laughs> one of those things that you just don't hear. I mean, I guess uh, in any context, the, the film Lady Bird has that sentiment <laughs> been expressed as uh, oh, passionately. Oh. The the thing that I sort of, again, want to underline, you're you're too modest to recommend your your own writing on this. I think that the, the post that you wrote for us on Monday at Defector about the King season, it was kind of a wrap-up, kind of a Game 7 game story, is I think that there's a... I think the Kings are going to get better, or at least that they're going to stay good. Like, they did... Obviously, this was, like, kind of a, a blessed season, but it's not a one-off. Like, the as you said, the, the core plus the concept makes a lot of sense and isn't necessarily going anywhere. I think you did a good job of appreciating the thing that I always sort of wish that I had appreciated more um, as a fan when the Nets abruptly sort of blossomed around 2001, 2002. This is a team that I'd cheered for my whole life. And suddenly they're in the NBA Finals and like deserve to be in the NBA Finals. And it was like the opposite of the basketball the Kings play. Like it was some of the ugliest shit that... Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, like the fun version of ugly shit. Cause it was still peak Jason Kidd running it, but Keith Van Horn. that first year or two before you get not even like entitled, but where you just sort of like when you begin expecting better things, the year or two in which a team is still surprising you, I think is like the best feeling as a fan that you can have. And it seems like you were able to kind of keep that in perspective, maybe going up against the fucking defending champs in the first round of the playoffs after your dream season has a way of bringing that home. But like, how do you think you were, this is a, you know, more of a, a Patrick Redford question than a King's <laughs> question, but like, how, like, how does it feel at the end of this year? Like looking back, do you feel like you got as much out of it as you had imagined you would? Had you even imagined that this season was possible? No, I thought, I thought there's no way. Um, yeah. I mean, last year it sort of seemed like they were um, looking North on a Southbound boat. Um, that like with this this incredible draft coming up that they kind of duffed their chance to be bad one more time but that's like that's peasant mindset like the game is about a bucket and it was just incredible to see like Mike Brown do what he did and see the team like just play like the basketball as basketball is like the point and that's what really like hooked me so hard this season and like it's it's hard to kind of stay in the moment because there's two there's two sort of competing ideas. One is that like contention happens more suddenly than you think. 
in that you have like those windows close fast. Like as a Russell Westbrook enjoyer, as a 2021 Atlanta Hawks enjoyer, you sort of just think that like development is on this linear path that like a good young team as they mature into their primes will just necessarily get better. And like, that doesn't that doesn't always happen. Like I was gonna say, it can be fool's gold, like the Gilbert's Arenas Wizards and stuff. Yeah, I mean the Hawks yeah. just curdled. It's the same roster. They just like mm-hmm. somehow like one day you sniff them and you're like, oh god. Ugh. Yeah, you don't <laughs> you don't all get to go on the MJ Bulls trajectory. Like yeah, just, like it doesn't happen that way. It's a competitive framework. Like the West is still good. Like people are gonna be like people are gonna try this like Looney Sag off Sabonis and it's not gonna work for them. He's gonna crush them. But like there there is some tape on the Kings and. It's it's a hard thing to sort of try to enjoy this for what it is and be optimistic, but also know that like there are stakes now. Um, and like if the team wins like 42 games next year, that's a disappointment. And that's weird when like the uh, the the 40 games yelling summer league celebrity Kings fan guy was like such a meme and they won 40 and it was like, you know, a huge moment. But then like. It's it. The Fox is in his prime. Sabonis is in his prime. Like it's kind. It's kind of time to start winning, and that feels weird. In do a you way. trust? Do you trust that they are a well-run team, or do you think that oh, they absolutely. essentially lucked lucked into this season? No, I think. I mean, looking at the coaching staff um, and the way the team plays together, and the way they're like built cohesively, I think. I think they're super well-run. Um, That's the thing that seems to be the difference because I don't know. That's you the, know, real the executive. Surprise. Sweet there has just been like a revolving door for, you know, whatever, 15 years. And you can't say that they, you know, every now and then they like they had Michael Malone as their coach for a little while. Like they've had some good guys. They've also like hired a lot of bad guys. And I think the thing that you were talking about in terms of like how quickly this happened when we spoke before the season, it was like they didn't take a different approach to this offseason. Like they got Keegan Murray right. That's awesome. Like that's a draft pick. That, he's fun. You know, he's a fun player. And, yeah. yeah. And I think he's going to get better. Like he's, first of all, like big as hell, like weirdly Huge. much bigger than I think of him as being. Like, <laughs> and I think could learn to do different stuff. But all of the stuff that they did is the kind of thing that, like, I think of it as being like the, Ernie Grunfeld Wizards did the same thing where they acted like they were two players away or one player away when they it yeah. seemed very obviously were not. And it turns out that like they were maybe two players away or three players away, you know, that like they hit super big on Malik Monk. They got Kevin Herter for basically nothing and they got a draft pick, right? Like maybe they were that close all along, but it feels like they were that close or at least they were acting like they were that close for 17 years of not (laughs) making the fucking playoffs. So it's amazing to see it work. I think this is also the first, this might be the first time in the Renadive era where the GM has been hired before the coach, which is like, that's belt and suspender shit. That's what you should always do. Um, So like the sort of basic level of trust was like never quite there because I was, it was always like, you know, uh, Dave Yeager inherited Vlade as the GM, and there was always like a really weird unease there. Um, yeah. So in Game Seven, before things went bad, and before I had to go run off to dinner with my family and watch water <laughs> shooting out of the wrong end of a subway station, like, I missed the entire second half. I just watched it. Like I looked at the score on my phone. You didn't miss anything. Kings won during the first half of Game Seven. There was a moment where uh, Steph missed two free throws in a row, and the camera cut to a woman who appeared to be profoundly on Molly, like some of the most on Molly visuals that have ever made it into a sporting event. She's like looking at her hands like it had a real uh, queen, like third hour of a fish concert feeling to it. (laughs) And then there was a moment where after the, you know, a timeout 
where the fans of the Kings were just holding their impassive toddlers aloft, <laughs> like in the fucking Lion King, to just like show them the court. There's these two little kids with like pigtails, just like two year olds, like sort of not really knowing what was going on. When people are holding their babies up and waving them around at a game, you have done something. And I know you were talking about stuff. You talked about a guy who brought a pit bull puppy to a game. Like, what level of uh, Sacramento were were they operating at in the arena when you were there? Pretty pretty high levels. Um, just like a lot of costumes, a lot of people wearing like <laughs> king's gear, but like lowercase k, like kind of King Arthur kind of shit. Um, oh boy! <laughs> there's these two Kevin Herter guys who wear red head wigs and red blazers to every single game. And they put one of them on the Jumbotron in game five, I think. And he gets up there, immediately like rips his button-down shirt down the middle to reveal he has kind of the most blurry version of Go Kings painted on his chest you've ever seen. <laughs> like it's smeared badly. Yeah. Oh. Was, that guy ruled. Um a lot of warrior like a lot of Warriors fans just sort of being aggressively shit talked the entire game. Um I think Kings fans took a few games to learn how to respond to the four rings thing because they would always do that. And then the Kings fans would just be like, fuck you. <laughs> and yeah, it worked. That's, yeah, that's the right move. Right. That's like you don't move. need to work out a real you're at a basketball game. Like you could just be like, yeah. I don't I don't respect you. I'm and sorry. the Kings, the Kings arena has like um, you the court is below street level. So you walk in and you're like at the plaza level um, and there's these huge glass doors where you can like see the jumbotron from outside so at one point between the third and fourth quarters i like i like walked out to the concourse and i saw that there were like hundreds and hundreds of people pressed up against the glass doors oh just God. like peeking into <laughs> george the, romero aesthetics yeah it was a little it was a little spooky yep um but like my brother flew in from chicago for game five i know multiple people who came up from la to watch games like it was a real a real pilgrimage moment oh that's yep. great let's uh let's take a break we'll talk more about the nba playoffs with Patrick Redford when we return. But uh, before we break, I just want to note, this podcast is sponsored by Homemade Rice Pilaf. You ever make your own rice pilaf? Not from a box like a single guy, but from scratch? Let me tell you, it's pretty fucking great. That's rice pilaf, available in your kitchen right now. So as you get off your ass to cook it, we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Wild Grain. Are you craving fresh, delicious, easy meals? In my opinion, you should try Wild Grain and get their bake from frozen sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisan pastries delivered right to your door. Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisan pastries. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, and all you have to do is pull it out of the freezer and pop it in the oven. Less than half an hour later, you have delicious bakery-quality food ready to eat. All you have to do is sign up at wildgrain.com distraction and choose which type of box you want to receive and how often. It's easy to reschedule, skip, or cancel. And for every new member, Wildgrain donates six meals to the Greater Boston Food Bank so you can eat good and do good all at the same time. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box, when you go to wildgrain.com slash distraction to start your subscription. You heard me. That's free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash distraction. That's wildgrain.com slash distraction, or you can use promo code distraction at checkout. Hey, it's Drew, and this week we're sponsored by Athletic Greens, which provides comprehensive nutrition and gut health support in one convenient scoop. 
Their all-in-one formula makes it easy for people like me to cover my nutritional bases every day. And every scoop of Athletic Greens is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients of the highest quality that give me major benefits like gut and mood support, boosted energy, and even healthier looking skin, hair, and nails. Athletic Greens even makes single-serving travel packs, so you never have to miss a day even when you're on the road. You can just mix the powder into cold water and drink it first thing each morning. And I have had Athletic Greens. I've been on the regimen for 30 days, and I, I enjoyed the taste of it. I even took it out uh, when I went on my bike. So if you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com distraction. That's athleticgreens.com slash distraction. Check it out. And we're back with Patrick Redford of defector.com, that feisty startup that everyone's talking about. Dot com. We were talking about Warriors Kings, but now we have to talk about the rest of the NBA playoff field because uh, the Warriors will go on to play the Lakers in the conference semifinals. Patrick, should I just go full casual here and assume that one of those teams will win it all despite having awful regular seasons respectively? Like, what do these teams have going against them that I can count on the Suns, Nuggets, Knicks, uh, the yeah. Celtics, who just blew game one to a Sixers team that has no Joel, Joel Embiid? Like, why should I assume that either of these teams can't win it all? Because uh, the Lakers can't really play half court offense at all. Um, they're big as hell. LeBron is kind of he'll have like one good game, one bad game. Um, I I kind of think I don't know. They're both they're both weird, flawed teams. I don't really know how seriously to take either of them because of those weird regular seasons. Um, though I kind of think the Lakers are on fraud watch. All right, tell me how the Warriors are uh, flawed, and you know you have to take the. Butthurt kingsness out of you to do this. You yeah, have to be try objective. not to be butthurt. Can you try not to be butthurt when you answer well, this question? The thing, the good so thing is, I, I have such an animus towards the Lakers that I can go back to standing Steph Curry like today with no call. Okay, yeah. this. So. This is a point that you made that I think is really like worth underlining here. You talked about this on Round Ball Rock, where you're like, I've cheered for the Warriors in every playoffs they've yeah. been in until this one. Like, it's just like it's normal. It's where it's you weird live. to root against them. And like, if you want to make the case against them, it's that like. Jordan Poole doesn't know what the basketball is right now. Um, and yeah. Clay and Wiggins are pretty limited. Um, and that Looney won't have the same impact with AD on the court. But also, like, why, the Kings offense, way harder to defend. The Warriors defense will have a way simpler job against the Lakers on both ends of the court. Yeah, I, the Warriors seem legit to me. I guess maybe it's yeah. just because it takes so much to to beat the Kings. Whereas, like, beating a, a Grizzlies team that's just basically like a you know, has the same energy as like one of those like VH1 celebrity shows from 2003 where it's a bunch of people like Jose Canseco and Vince Neal living in a house together. Like this is, uh, it's, it's a tougher task. Wait, yeah. can you go back and tell me how old the Warriors have an easier time defending the Lakers than they did the Kings? The Lakers definitely have a lot of like top end star talent, but it's, it's a kind of simpler task. Like they don't run as much of the motion stuff like the Kings. Um, their lead guards aren't as hard to contain as Fox in like the handoff game with Sabonis. Like it'll be a lot of LeBron ISOs or like Reeves LeBron two man games with shooters spaced out and like AD in the dunker spot or maybe AD at the elbow. Um, and like there won't maybe you'll have to contain like a primary and a secondary action, but there's none of the like constant flowing shot generation from all parts of the court in the way that the Kings had. Um, and on defense. 
on defense is going to be harder to score for sure because if you run that two-man game and you have Draymond rolling to the rim, instead of like Keegan Murray helping off the wing, you have Anthony Davis who's, you know, playing the best defense of his career maybe. So that's that's something the, – the side of the ball I'm going to be watching is when Warriors have the rock. Like how are they going to be able to score at the rim? Because they can't they can't just rely on Clay going 8 of 12 from 3 or anything like that because he's not at that super high level right now. Let me go over um, to the other series in the West, Suns, Nuggets. Uh, is there anything about those two teams that convinces you that they will finally get their shit together and not only go to the finals but, to, but potentially win it? Yeah, I don't want to overreact to two games, but the Nuggets look incredible right now. Yeah. Um, specifically on defense, which was the big worry because, you know, you have uh, Durant, Booker, Aiton, and Paul, four guys who can just get and hit a shot from basically anywhere. But it's kind of the same thing that I diagnosed with the Lakers. And that's maybe why that take was maybe too strong is because the Suns just do one thing. It's like, oh, oh no, a Paul Ayton pick and roll with three shooters spaced. Oh no, Durant has the ball and he's going to go one-on-one with 14 seconds on the shot clock. What's what's going to happen in this possession? Like it's not, it's not super complicated. Okay. I underrated the Nuggets because they had such a lousy stretch in the regular season. They did look excellent against Phoenix. And it was in game two, it was like Jamal Murray just had like, a vintage 2021 Russell Westbrook game. Like he was like two for 14 and like eight turnovers or something like that. If you can win a game where Murray is taking points off the table and just win it convincingly, like then maybe I have overweighted the stretch where they looked super duper fraudulent. Um, well, the fact know, the that Murray stretch. is there at all is like a huge difference yeah. maker. Cause yeah. you're talking about a guy who fucking, lit up the playoffs in 2020, became my favorite NBA player instantly and then was not seen again for two years. Yeah, it's good to have him back. And like the Suns, like Booker has been, Booker has been incredible. Um, And game, game three is weirdly not until Friday. They have three full days off in between. So like Chris Paul took a weird tweak. Maybe that'll help him get right. Um, I mean, we just saw in Kings Warriors, the team that won the first two games lose eventually. So we don't want to, don't want to go too hard, but I do think, I do kind of think it's going to be Warriors Nuggets, and I really hope so because that that would be just seeing seeing Jokic and the Warriors go against each other in like a brain battle. I think would be so fun. I mean, yep. Jokic is incredible in game two. So, well, we've talked about the fun basketball. Now we have to talk about the unfun basketball because <laughs> that's the Eastern Conference. So we got. Uh, Aren't you Joel- glad the conversation has come to the Knicks? That's r- <laughs> by the way, I watched that Knicks Heat game the first. Nixie game. And I know that Julius Randle didn't play, but it was fucking brutal to watch yeah, the Knicks funk. on off. It's just Terrible. like, and like, it was like, like the uniforms had a lot of nineties, uh, energy to it. And that was nice. That was fun. And the scoring was appropriately low and all that stuff. But there was so much fucking standing around on offense. I was like, does this team even have an offense? Like what, what does Tibbs do? Like when there's an offensive huddle, is he just like, Oh no! Well, why don't you play more so, defense when you play offense? A lot, of, a lot of damn maple mamba in the monitors in game one. Not what Fuck. you want. Like anytime you're watching the R.J. Barrett game, like you should just see if there's something else on TV. Maybe there's like uh, guys grocery games is on somewhere. Uh, the idea, the like Jimmy Butler having one leg and just standing there, and then Tibbs just respecting him too much or something yep. to like make him play defense was kind of shocking. Six minutes of him out there, like very clearly his ankle swelling to grapefruit size proportions within his shoe. And Tibbs is like, that man is the biggest warrior I've ever known. Nobody dribble at him. No one, no, 
Every, make sure you stay on it. That was the other thing. It was like Butler was just decoying hard as fuck in the corner, like basically standing there with his hands on his knees. And they still had someone on him the whole time. And that's like, I get that. Like if the one thing you could do is probably hit an open shot. But it was of all the ways to lose a game to the Heat. And there are no non-annoying ways to lose to the Heat. They're incredibly annoying as a team. I say that with admiration. Yeah, they're, uh, they're fun annoying. They're not annoying. Just they're like... Annoying. Butler hobbling around out there and uh, the Knicks seemingly not noticing while everyone is screaming at them that one of those guys is very badly injured is, uh, I can't feel great. But I thought he broke the fucking thing when he fell. Yeah, too. I mean, he's definitely. Because yeah. that was the way these playoffs were going. Like everyone was going down. You got that recency bias where it's like, oh, great. Well, this is the most injuries in the history of the NBA playoffs when it happens every fucking year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the also the other um the other major narrative is um people's just transcendent violence being visited upon the dicks and balls of various mm. NBA players. Yes, like, yeah. it's, it's just none happening dare constantly. talk about it. You think yeah. you think Kenny and Charles are gonna really step up and talk about all the, the dick on ball spinning back fist action that's been happening? Was it Tatum oh. that got popped yesterday? Yes. Yeah. And that was another one that was basically uh like it was similar to I guess it was the second of the Draymond ones, or oh no, it was the Dylan Brooks one, where it was basically like a backhand slap directly to the zone. Yeah, and uh, you can say that that's an. I think the Tatum one did definitely look like an accident, but a uh, great deal of vigor coming in on that one. I think that the NBA might have a shadow uh, commissioner of chastity and AC Green who <laughs> asks players uh, to abuse each other in the dick and balls just just to make sure. There's not too much a uh, hanky panky in between these games because that would get all the teams off their game. You know, I'm I'm so bummed that Embiid is hurt just because all season the best three teams have been the Celtics, Sixers, and Bucks, and I wanted like two series between those two teams at like, full strength. Yeah, and we're gonna get max. We're we're gonna get zero. Um, yep. I'm happy the right. Sixers won just because maybe Embiid can sit out until game three or four. I mean, his knee seems kind of fucked up, but. It's just such a bummer that we're not going to get like last year. Those series were so good, like Celtics Bucks. That there's just a seven game yeah. war. That was incredible, and I wanted I wanted two of those, yep. and it's a bummer. Well, also because even if Embiid does come back, he won't be the same. It's like he's not going to no. be the same. But there's there's always a chance of re-injury. So it's a chance that he is hobbled, which means I'm going to get a lot of fucking isos with James Harden mm. dribbling around fucking thirty feet from the basket doing James Harden shit. And I'm going to want to jump out a window. I'm not the biggest fan of James Harden doing James Harden shit, but I will say that he's doing it at a level. Certainly in game one, he was doing it at a level that I feel like I haven't seen from him in a while. Like he definitely had the kind of like, like pudgy kid in pajamas body type for a little while with like the, like the end stage rockets. And then with the, he clearly did not really enjoy being on the nets. And he just sort of like abruptly re-arrived as James Harden uh, last night, which was like, it's kind of cool. It's definitely like, I'd rather watch Joel Embiid, like all things being equal, but that's not in the uh, in the cards at the moment. Was was that his best playoff game? I mean, he's sort of a notorious playoff yeah, disappearer. Pretty I mean, low bar, but it was incredible. Like, yep. And it was also like a great playoff game and not in the way that like, I think that part of the issue for him, you know, with the Houston stuff, when he was really like hunting for fouls and getting a lot of his points that way, it was like, even his great games just were annoying seeming. He went to the line like four times in game one. Like he was just basically like, it was just 
threes and pick high pick and rolls. And like, yeah. that's pretty cool. Like, I'd rather watch that than watch a guy kick his legs out. Yes. You know, on a jumper. Absolutely. B-ball Paul, 37 minutes, we stepping up, Paul. getting screamed at by PJ Tucker. Good for yep. him. <laughs> uh, let me yeah, this- go back to uh, Nick's heat because... Um, do you think that the Knicks, if they get Randall back, do you think that they can field something resembling a competent, uh, cohesive offense against the Heat? Or are they going to be kind of the same team that I saw ugly up the court in game one? I worry that um, the Heat are the exact kind of team that can make uh, Jalen Brunson doing the Jalen Brunson thing kind of difficult. Yeah. Um, but I, I I think, I don't know. I think they can get back there. Um I think the Heat are just kind of, I don't know, they're like a weird under-talented team, but they're always like that. So like to not take them seriously would be a mistake. Um, and also the the thing that really has impressed me about them is like you watch the Cavs come into Madison Square Garden and like just admit it after that they were like too scared by the moment, that like yeah. it was too big for them, that the atmosphere is too crazy. And the Heat are like the opposite of that. Um, yeah. They right. wake up early every day to be a hater and they love that shit. Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler, but there's a lot of guys in there where, like, by rights, Caleb Martin should be intimidated in Madison Square Garden. Like, you don't really have that much business there, man. Like, and yet, like, (laughs) none of them believe it. Like, it's all these guys that seem like they should be, like, two-way contract dudes just hitting big threes and then doing, like, elaborate hand gestures afterwards. And it's, you know, you're Max Struess. Like, it's pretty, pretty bold of you to go out there like you're not. Uh, and this is the part of it where you have to kind of respect them and like how obnoxious they are. Like they absolutely think that they could win the conference. And like, I don't know, they could. They're also extremely well coached. I mean, I remember, you know, when Eric Spolstra took that job with the big three, I was like, oh, he's just he's just a sock puppet for Pat Riley, blah, 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 blah. And meanwhile, you know, it's it's 15, 20 years later. I mean, I think he is probably one of the best coaches in the sport, if not the best coach in the sport. He's and he always looks like he's 30 years old, which is yeah. annoying. It's so annoying. It's criminal. He's never won a coach of the year. Like that buck series, How? the things he was doing, like Budenholzer was just getting circles run around him. Like they, they pulled out this like inverted bam, Jimmy pick and roll, which they'd basically not done all season. And the bucks were just like, what do we do with this? Yeah. They had like all these wrinkles. You just put bam everywhere. It was, I mean, the guy's a genius. It's inspirational. Uh, let's talk quickly about chess because Patrick, you also cover chess for Defector along with freelancer Ben Tippett. So I have a dad question for you. What's going on in the chess world these days? We yeah, got how's it uh, going. Is everybody having fun? It was a great world championship. Um, Ding Loren, who everyone kind of thought of as like a presumptive world champ for a while. He beat, um, the guy who lost to Magnus a couple years ago. Um, Magnus despite, Carlsen, the former reigning world champion who decided not to do this anymore, essentially. Because it was like too much work <laughs> to prepare right. for classical chess, basically. I can't, I gotta respect that. Yeah. Um, what is he doing instead? Is he making like house music or something? He's just playing like random online tournaments with his man bun and his pajamas, like from vacation, um, respect. during this, like he's absolutely respected. But yeah, like Ding, Ding, um, in his second, they, uh, they prepped for the world champs by playing all these games online. And then in the ninth game, I think there was a really weird position and everyone checked like the database. They were like, Oh, these two users that created their accounts in February and only played each other have this exact position. And they've also played through like a lot of the first games. Like, I wonder if that's them. And so then you could go through and their entire prep database was basically leaked. And then ding denied it. 
uh, instantly kept playing the same positions that he leaked and then won anyway. Um, so that's cool. It nice. was great. Yeah, it was good chess. Like uh, do you consider Ding to be the true world champion, uh, even though Magnus Carlsen didn't play? Uh, I, I guess. Yeah, I think Magnus would smoke him, but I mean, it's winning winning a world championship against anyone with a level of prep and like just intensity that goes into it is so impressive that. I, I definitely consider him legit. And he's he's been a great player. He's been like a top three, five player for a long time. Um and it's it's cool to it's cool to see him get there. Like he he's a worthy, cool guy to be champion. I like that we're talking about chess and not as a metaphor for like football strategy. We're actually talking about literal chess, and yeah. that's so different than the normal chess sports talk I get. Yeah, how do you think Steve Spagnolo would do in a chess match? <laughs> Because I always thought he was a really good uh, chess tactician as a football coach. Hey, it's time for the guy of the week. Every week okay. we remember an athlete of your Roth, not Hall of Famer necessarily, but just a guy who makes you think, hey, I remember that guy. Your guy of the week, Patrick Redford. That makes you think you Might be a bit young for this, but I, I think you remember Mario Ellie. You remember that guy, Patrick Redford? I remember Mario Ellie, Sacramento Kings, uh, San Antonio Spurs legend Mario Ellie, right? Yep. And I think I think he had a cup of coffee. The Rockets won a championship or two there, right? That sounds yeah. right. Yeah, he was a guy that also had the like the CBA pedigree. Like there weren't that many dudes like that, but there were guys that like played. But back when the CBA was the sort of like unaffiliated minor league in the United States, like Mario Ellie definitely earned his stripes playing in like Fort Wayne for a long time, <laughs> and then got a long NBA career after that. But I think it started when he was like twenty eight or something. Like he had definitely had to like win a scoring title in Albany first before anyone was willing to give him a chance. Yeah, yeah, all the all those guys who like they like they have to do their time in like Romania now before they come back over yep. here and shit like that. Yeah, uh, he was he was an assistant with a lot of teams for a while as I recall. I don't think he's in the league anymore, but I always liked him. He yep. had that he had that Robert Ory thing where he'd always be an important part of any postseason team. Like he was always like making like clutch shots and shit like that. And like was not like he never carried a team on his own. But he would always be the guy who hit like that fucking baseline three pointer in the in the fourth quarter that put him dagger. A, like an apology because it's guys like that that I always got mad at. Like I remember when the the Spurs like wiped out the Nets in the NBA Finals. It was like I knew that Tim Duncan was cool. You know, like I wasn't gonna be mad at like whatever was going on there. But there was still the other part. So that just made me twice as mad. I was like, fucking Bruce Bowen, nice mustache. What are you like, Steve Harvey? Now you're Steve Harvey all of a sudden, and like that's that was my fault. It's I thought the mustache actually looked nice. Well, nobody liked Bruce Bowen. I mean, Bruce Bowen was a foul machine. Nobody Everybody hated him. Bruce Bowen. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. That's all right. Um, I'm looking at uh, Mario Ellie's uh, stats right now. He had a higher per game minute average in the playoffs in the regular season, which I think is one of the coolest things you that can do. That is a very cool type of player to be. I I like that. Hey, uh, let's open up the fun bag. These are real questions from Defector readers. And distraction listeners. And hey, you know what? We've got a few voice calls uh, this week. So we're going to have you guys listen to some voice calls. And uh, we'll answer those questions via the magic of audio. Let's wow. do it. Hey, Felga. Tommy from Quincy. If the bees don't win the cup this year, is it a failure on the level of the 2007 pass? Got to get Bursey another cup. Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. You got to burn that arena down. It's so over. Uh, Boston sports, <laughs> done, done. Philly's going to sweep. 
the Celtics. This shit is over. Um, what you got to do, here's my recommendation for you. Holy Cross hoop starts in the fall. Get wow, in on the ground yeah. floor now. Look you like at fundamentals. You. <laughs> and you like the, I'm assuming, what is that? The Patriot League? You got to, yeah. Patriot League hoops is a good place to start. Build with the, like, start where the foundation is strong. <clears throat> Agree. I, uh, I, I can't imagine that, you know, as as good as the Bruins were this season, and they were, the, uh, you know, if you went by the numbers, they were the second best team in the regular season in NHL history, and they still blew it in the first round to a, an anonymous Florida Panthers team. But I still can't, I think it's football bias here, but I can't think that that compares in any way to the 2007 Patriots blowing a game to fucking Eli Manning in the Super Bowl and blowing an 18-0 season. Also, does some weird shit happen in hockey like all the time? Yeah, because yeah, like, there's, there's, there's a curse on the President's <laughs> Cup. <laughs> or if you are, if you have the best record in the regular season, you will fucking choke in the playoffs. It's happened for like a decade now. That's, that's very cool, very gothic. Like there should be more sort of like occult kind of uh, involvement, I believe, in the well, playoffs. Well, I think I think the NBA was going to, or I think they started doing it this year, where they awarded a trophy to the regular season champion, who would have been this year would have been the Celtics. Is that correct? Um, I don't know actually. No, the Bucks had the best record, I think. Yeah, this would this year would have been the Bucks. And then they so, fucking go to the yeah, heat. Right. All right, see. <laughs> see? Not, do not tr- touch the Druid's chalice when Adam Silver hands it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to the next question. Eric, break it down for Patrick. Hi, longtime listener, huge fan. Uh, this is a question for Roth. It's a take on an old classic. I was at a convention center, and I had purchased a delicious Greek sandwich from a cart outside. I had had about half of it, and I was really looking forward to the other half, but I had to use the restroom. So I put the sandwich wrapped fully in wax paper and tinfoil in my briefcase, and then I went to the restroom. But through a freak of physics, uh, the sandwich fell out, and landed completely wrapped on the men's room floor. Hmm. Now, Ross, I have already consumed half of this sandwich, and I know it's the best sandwich I've had in months. My question to you, do you finish this sandwich? Yeah, I finished it. All right, have a great day. Bye. Good man. All right, so of all the things you dream about when you get into the blogging game, (laughs) you know, or you start appearing on podcasts, you never know where it's going to go. I never asked to become the guy that uh, would get asked questions like, if you found a pickle in a urinal, would you eat it? Uh, but now that's that's my brand. That's what happens uh, when you, you, know, you grow as an artist and a, and a person um, in this space. I would have to, I, honestly, like the fact that it's even a conversation is probably bad. If it's wrapped... <laughs> I would want to know what the bathroom looks like. Like if it's if it's at a convention event and you've got a briefcase there, so I'm assuming these are professionals and stuff, then maybe that bathroom floor isn't so bad. If it's like Penn Station. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. Penn Station. I was thinking like Newark Airport, like where like the short flights leave from, you know, like the little planes and stuff like that. Like at that point, you just gotta you gotta take the L. And, uh, you know, and move on with your life. But if this is the sort of thing where you're at, like, a Westin by an airport, like, maybe you're okay. Uh, is it bad that I'm, like, rationalizing this? Like, the, the right move is, like, once it hits the bathroom floor, you just got to walk away from it. No, that- I don't agree at all. I, okay, I good. finish it. No matter where it lands, I finish it. It's wrapped. I ate it before. It's not, like, the floor didn't touch the sandwich. There was a protective barrier. 
Easy money. I'm eating the fucking sandwich. There's no way I'm not gonna it could be it could be a fucking Sunoco bathroom and I'd fucking still do it. What do you think, it. Patrick? If this is truly the uh <clears throat> the best sandwich as advertised and you've already had half of it, just go get another one. It's fine. Just then know. you have one point five sandwiches. Yeah, but then that's like that's like ten dollars. And what if it's like one of those what if it's one of those like hipster sandwich shops where they're like at one PM they're like, sorry, we don't have any more mortadella because we're out for the day because of demand. Like it's one of those fucking places. Our mortadella guy is yeah. observing the solstice. Or what if the motherfucker had to wait in line for forty five minutes to eat it? You know what I'm saying? Like then he should have secured he should have secured the bag, should have secured the briefcase more. Three that's, points of pressure. Yeah. Watching I think the sandwich bounce out of your briefcase has to be a bad feeling, regardless of where you go from there. Like that's a real uh, kind of slow motion, uh, like the like balls of virus from uh, the rock rolling towards the ledge type of energy. You don't really want that. Yeah. Patrick, as someone who eats off the forest floor regularly, <laughs> I'm surprised that you're so hardcore about this, but I guess you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, eating like if you have a mushroom like you're 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 cleaning it you know you brush the dirt off before you just mm-hmm. pop that shit in the bear probably pissed on it at some point that's well you know, that's the, like that's what the brushing your vitamins oh all right that's fertilizer yeah. it's good that's good for your your that's good for gut health all right yeah. let's do the last one eric hey uh drew roth this is uh matt in los angeles um beanbag chairs are bullshit right patrick Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't think we're getting an argument here. There's a big, huge beanbag chair in the defector office, um, which in the times I've been there has only been used by Laura Wagner to fall asleep um, during the workday with her laptop, like just directly on her. You know, it's like, it's got to be so hot. Um, And then Wow, that's really like college study hall type shit. That's great. Yeah. Um, I, I went in there once and immediately like found out about all this phantom back pain I didn't know I had. And I was like, I'm out of here. I can't do this. No, 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 no. Yep. I like the beanbag chair in the office, but you can't, it's for sleeping on or for yeah. like sitting down on for a little while. It's very, it's a, I think broadly speaking, beanbag chairs are, are bullshit. I, I think there's probably a different experience of the beanbag chair that you could have had. Like we got it, like, you know, a lot of those things, it kind of gets shipped and it's all like packed up. And then you have to basically just like kick the shit out of it. Like kind of do the, yeah. like, <laughs> like the Billy Bats Goodfellas thing with a couple of your homies to get it like fluffed up. Yeah. I don't know if we didn't do that enough. There's definitely like, like there was a moment of, you know, I wouldn't like say it was a bonding experience where like Lauren Tyson and I were just standing across from each other kicking the beanbag. And we're just like, yeah, we're on the same team. We're making this work. <laughs> but it it gets deflated so quickly. And I'm not a young man. So if, like I'll sit down in it for a little while and be like, what a delightful departure from sitting in this office chair. And then like five minutes later, my ass is like touching the ground and I need to figure out some way to get to heave my hideous blogger body bulk up to an upright position. It's not, you know, like for a regular chair, it's got its shortcomings, but I know how to stand up from it. No, I always, it always, beanbag chairs to me are always cooler in theory than in practice. Cause like, you know, I'm 46 years old. I have a bad back. I can't sit in a fucking beanbag chair. Do you guys, like when you guys go to the mall, have you ever walked by one of those like disruptor beanbag chair emporiums where it's like, or seen like the banner ads for like Slugaboo, 
the whole new beanbag experience. Yeah, they sponsored our podcast last week, I think. Oh, did they? <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> sounds like something that you would make up. Um, ho- hosts, can I approach the bench? I have something to say upon this matter. Oh, that's our producer, Eric Silver, yes. Eric's got a beanbag take. Let's hear it. I own one of these new age beanbag chairs. <laughs> oh, you have a you have a slugaboo at home? I have a slugaboo. I use Defector, the code Defector for 10% off. I did that to make rice pilaf for dinner. Last <laughs> it was good. You, when you make it by yourself and you know to use it out of out of a bag yeah. or some shit, <laughs> it's good. So is it good? So I was inspired by going to an Airbnb with a bunch of my friends that had a giant one, like an XXL one that was made out, had beanbags in it. And it was really fun and delightful. A beanbag chair of beanbag chairs. Wow. Yes. Like it was fun because I'm like, oh, wow, look at this thing in an Airbnb. But then uh, my wife and I started to noodle on it and we're like, I wonder if these are filled with something else. So we found a company that fills them with memory foam, and it's now in our living room. It does take up a third of the room in a Brooklyn mm-hmm. apartment. Yep. It is also, I fell asleep on it on Sunday, and it was nice. awesome. <laughs> wow. I've spent six hours in a row sitting in it on some days. It's really good. You can squish it to like almost feel cherish. It's definitely for laying back and then putting two pillows behind your head and you got to kick it for sure because it's memory foam extra but like honestly i think that the innovation is in the packing material space okay that makes sense that there's like this seems like one of those things that technology should be able to improve upon the thing that we have in the office which is like just filled i don't with some sort of like pebbled plastic detritus you know with literal beans like just fucking Mm, like a dry fizzy beans cutting into it just being like oh we're eating good all right well uh we're gonna cut out patrick do you have anything to plug besides beanbag chairs uh, before we go uh just only the late breaking news from shams that uh the memphis grizzlies have informed pending free agent dylan brooks quote that he will not be brought back under any circumstances (laughs) holy shit (laughs) the grizzlies have informed pending free agent dylan brooks that he is quote doing too much That is incredible. No, wow. no parting ways. Just fuck you. We hate this guy. What That's, is the market for Dylan Brooks? That is that is a proud great. Just moment. like he talked the wildest shit possible, and then refused to talk to the media and back any of it up. Got fined for doing that, and then his team is just leaking the rudest, rudest possible shit to blame their meltdown on him. I God, he's gonna. He's going to be so good next year in the um, Australian NBL. I think he is has this, MVP potential for sure. I think you This is the hardest that anyone's ever been owned in the NBA, I think. I think yeah. this is the biggest self-owning that I can think of. Uh, Patrick, I think you underestimate the wiliness of the Minnesota Timberwolves front office. <laughs> so I just want you to remember that when he signs there a month from now. Eric this Silver is our producer. up the vibes. Brandon Google is our editor. And our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com right now. Just go to Defector.com and hit the subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com. Or you can be one of the voicemail callers that you just listened to. And you can call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-Panera0. We'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.